on this episode of Risky Business. How do we build flexibility into the program that will ensure that we're able to accomplish our goals little by little, but that by showing that level of flexibility and patience, but yet diplomatic persistence, our colleagues have gained just an appreciation for what we do. And while it takes time, eventually we get to a point where we've got risk champions. They understand our mission, they appreciate what we're trying to do, and that we're doing it together with them and not just handing them something to do. I'm Steve Muddyman, and this is Risky Business, a show from GAN Integrity covering the wide range of issues in compliance and ethics with one goal in mind, empowering your people to do the right thing. What exactly is a risk champion, and how do you become one? Melanie Lucht, Associate Vice President and Chief Risk Officer at Carnegie Mellon University, joins me to share how she uses a specific framework that helps foster risk management within her organization. In our conversation, Melanie explains the importance of partnering with your stakeholders, how to equip a diverse population for risk preparedness, and how to break success into measurable goals for your team. You'll hear Melanie share how, over time, people she calls risk champions have risen up throughout the university. These supporters have come to value risk management and understand where they fit into the framework. As you listen, think about who could become a risk champion in your organization. How can you slowly but surely help those around you develop an understanding and an appreciation for risk management? And how can you develop flexibility that honors the unique responsibilities of each person? Welcome to Risky Business. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Melanie Lucht, who is Associate Vice President and Chief Risk Officer at Carnegie Mellon University. Welcome, Melanie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So many who will be listening to us today will of course, no, Carnegie Mellon University. Some of them may even be alumni who are listening to us today. But for those that don't know anything about Carnegie Mellon, give us a, an overview of the university and what you do there. Carnegie Mellon University was founded in 1900 by Andrew Carnegie. We are located on the eastern side of the city of Pittsburgh in a neighborhood named Oakland. We sit on a 140-acre campus. It is an open campus environment, and we are a global community of faculty, staff, and students with seven colleges that run from our College of Fine Arts, particularly our School of Drama, which is ranked number two in the country, to our School of Computer Science, which is ranked number one across many facets. We have a wonderful mixture of both arts and sciences that we specialize in here at the university. My role as the Chief Risk Officer, which is a role I've held for the last four years now, I oversee not only the Enterprise Risk Management Program of the university, but also the organizations of environmental health and safety, as well as disaster recovery business continuity, and emergency management. And since COVID, in the last two years, I also oversee our asymptomatic COVID-19 testing program, which we call Tartan Testing. So that's just a brief overview of my scope of responsibility here at the university. 
Fascinating. And what we'll do is we'll get into some of those things in a moment and you can perhaps walk us through what each of those elements are that you you touched on just now when we talk about some of the aspects that perhaps concern you in the role at the university. But if I could just come back to the sheer scale of what we're talking about here with seven colleges, and I think about the potential complexity of what that means, given the scale of the site upon which you operate from. Tell us a little bit about the student mix there, the academic structure in terms of how the colleges work, levels of independence, if indeed there are any, and effectively where students typically are coming from, probably around the world. We have an incredibly diverse community of students from all over the world. We have a large number of students that we welcome from Asia, as well as from Europe and across the globe, as well as many students from the United States. We actually have more graduate students now than we do undergraduate students. It's just a little more than half of our nearly 15,000 student body population. So we have master's degree students, we have PhD, as well as postdoc students that we have on campus. And some of our more popular programs through the arts and sciences, but we also have programs in social sciences and humanities, as well as other areas of science like math and physics. So we have an incredibly diverse and very hardworking student body. They're a very talented group of students that are are highly qualified and very talented to come to the university. So on that point with regard to the way in which the colleges work, can you give some sense of how the team that you are part of operates within the university and how that manifests itself in terms of the needs of the colleges themselves, or is it one holistic overall program? Many universities, they're very decentralized. Each college really is it can be very autonomous with their own organizational structures, their own budget structures. And so I think one of the unique opportunities that my department has is that we span all areas of the university. So we take a very centralized approach so that we can provide an equal level of services to each one of the colleges. They all have unique needs. So as you can imagine, in the sciences, there's a lot of labs, and we are charged with providing not only safety training, but also making sure that our labs are operating safely. So we perform inspections and we conduct reviews of our lab spaces to make sure that everyone is complying with university policy as well as health and safety regulations. But that's just one aspect. Our business continuity program covers both administrative and academic areas of the university because of the unique needs that some of our departments have, whether it's unique classroom settings, whether it's unique equipment needs that they might have, providing business continuity strategies for not just administrative, but academic areas has really been part of our strategic mission and has really helped to serve us quite well, especially over the last two and a half years, where many business continuity plans were activated and continue to be in some respects activated. So just on that point, I suspect, and certainly myself coming into this conversation today with you, I didn't expect to be having a conversation about business continuity per se. Having said that, of course, you mentioned COVID earlier, and we can only take one lens, if you like, on how that impacted 
the education, the world of education, if you will. How specifically did you have to adapt to the practices, the policies, the approach to ensuring that effectively the university could continue to function given the pandemic? Yeah, I think one of the advantages that we experienced at the onset of COVID was the fact that we already had a business continuity program deeply rooted here at the university and had been for a number of years. It was actually my first responsibility coming into the university almost 10 years ago was to launch a sustainable business continuity program. And it certainly doesn't happen overnight, and we continue to be in a state of evolution. But at the time of COVID, we had about 70 to 75% of the university covered with business continuity plans. And so a lot of our colleagues were already thinking strategically and developing plans and exercising those plans as to what they would do in the event that they could not access their classrooms or their offices or other facilities on campus, if they had limited access to certain technology capabilities, what would their plan B's be, so to speak? And so as COVID really started to become more of a concern in the very early days, February of 2020, we put a lot of our business continuity plan owners and their administrators on notice to remind them to review those plans, update them, because they might need to use them straight away. And within weeks, that that became the reality. And so one of the things that we have learned over time is that from our colleagues that obtained those plans and had them ready to go, they provided feedback that having that in place gave them a sense of calm. It gave them a sense of readiness so that they knew exactly what they needed to do when they needed to do it and be able to communicate with their constituents as to what those plans were, as opposed to other groups that did not perhaps have that sense of readiness. They felt like they were more in a reactionary mode and scrambling a bit. At the end of the day, everyone landed in the same spot, but how they got there and the way in which they handled getting there was very different. And is that when we talk about, or you alluded to how you involve others in the program, and of course, different individuals will participate to different degrees in the kinds of issues that you're dealing with. Often what I hear when speaking to colleagues in similar roles to yourself, they talk very much and very passionately about the need to engage their stakeholders in the processes that you are leading, you are driving through the business, or in your case, through the university. And they talk about the importance of having those stakeholders partner with them effectively in order to get the best sets of outcomes. How have you gone about doing that within the university? That's the secret sauce, is getting that level of collaboration and engagement Instead of issuing a directive or taking a stick approach, it's really beneficial, particularly in a higher education environment, to be as collaborative and as flexible as possible with the goal of building relationships and taking your time and being thoughtful with those relationships and what you want to get out of them. In furthering the program and in executing on our strategic plan to build out this business continuity program, we recognize that 
our colleagues have other jobs and other responsibilities and business continuity might not be at the forefront. And in recognizing that, how do we build flexibility into the program that will ensure that we're able to accomplish our goals little by little, but that by showing that level of flexibility and patience, but yet diplomatic persistence, our colleagues have gained just an appreciation for what we do. And while it takes time, eventually we get to a point where we've got risk champions is what we call them. They understand our mission. They appreciate what we're trying to do and that we're doing it together with them and not just handing them something to do that they might not totally appreciate. But when we do it together and when we work through building and exercising plans collaboratively, it really does forge stronger relationships, which when situations occur, such as COVID or other disruptions, that partnership really is very beneficial because you are one another and you trust one another. I think that's hugely important. And I love the term risk champions. In order for people to feel that they want to participate, and as you say, you don't take the stick approach here, you want to engage individuals and their organizations to participate in the program. Would it be to suggest that there has to be some kind of operating culture or a framework upon which individuals and organizations and others that sit in and around the university, even those that participate and perhaps third parties that, that participate in contributing to the ongoing day-to-day running of the university, feel a sense of culture that allows them to effectively drive an, a set of ethical behavior throughout the university? Would that be a fair assumption? Yeah, I think that's a very fair assumption. I think one of the things that, as you mentioned the word culture, that is something that for a number of years now, we have been promoting and really emphasizing a culture of safety, but also a culture of risk-informed decision-making. So that as we work through our framework of risk identification and risk management, that our colleagues understand what that framework is and what does it mean to them and where they fit in the framework, but also at the same time, we have a very open level of communication where if you see something, you need to say something. And it's really important as we work towards a stronger level of that culture of safety and a culture of risk-informed decision-making. I think one of the things that we have learned over the past two and a half years is that we as a community at the university we're much more resilient than we thought we were. And I think people have a greater sense of that resiliency and knowing that we can do these alternate things. We can work in other ways to achieve the same goal. It's uncomfortable because we don't like change and change is something that we have to adapt to, but we can do it and we've proven it. So we feel a lot stronger as a result of that. So I think that's one of the things that we have learned and have grown to appreciate better through this global experience that we've all had to deal with. We've definitely shown that uh, Pittsburgh is very susceptible to winter weather, and I think we are, we're not as fearful of that winter weather as we maybe were a few years ago. 
fascinating. Just picking up on the, from my perspective, what appears to be a huge challenge for you when you, you said you encourage individuals to call out if they see something, you say something. Now, given that you talked about having 15,000 students, a very diverse student body that is somewhat tran- transitory in so much that you've got a throughput of students through through the organization, how do you get those kinds of messages in into the hearts of minds of a population as dynamic as that? It definitely is a challenge, and we have implemented several strategies over the years to engage our student community, and as well as we have a lot of student organizations, and how do we work collaboratively with our students to make sure that they know what resources are available at the university for them, but also, you know, what we can also work hand in hand with them to ensure that they are safe here at the university. One of the things that we do for freshman orientation, so as soon as you step foot on campus, our first year students will get a message from our emergency notification system. We call it CMU Alert, and it's a welcome message. It lets them know that they're a part of our community now, which means they will get emergency notifications if they are delivered. But we also encourage our students to sign into our mobile app for CMU Alert so that they have direct contact with our university police department and other safety resources. We also deliver a host of trainings to our student community, whether it's fire safety. We have students from all over the world, and they some of them really need to understand what things we have in place here at the university when it comes to things like fire safety, how to use a fire extinguisher. Some of these things we might just take for granted because they've been embedded into our culture, but that's not the case for everybody. And even active shooter training, sadly, that is something that is ever present in our minds. And especially as parents, we're concerned when it comes to situations like that. And so we work closely with our university police department to provide active shooter training to all members of our community, but particularly to our students. And even things of just basic safety, how to, at night, if you're walking from one building to another one, don't be looking at your phone. Be aware of your surroundings. Walk with your head up. Walk with confidence. And even how to operate basic machinery. We have a lot of maker spaces on campus. We have student shops. And making sure that those students have all of the training that they need to operate machinery and tools safely so that they don't feel like they don't have the training or the tools to be able to do what they want to do safely. So those are a few of the things that that we are very passionate about, but we're always in this mode of training because as you said, we have a very transient community. We have some of these students for four years and every year we welcome a new population of students. So we always have a new audience to speak to, but it also keeps us on our toes because we can't rest for very long before we have to train the next generation. Fascinating the issues that you talk to there. We haven't talked about the makeup of the team, your team or the team upon which you're part. I've often heard training about being the, a fundamental tenant, a risk compliance and ethics strategy. Given what we've just discussed, on one hand, you've got the organization, the part that is always there, if you will, the staff, the infrastructure, the running, the day-to-day 
elements that are always part of university. And you mentioned change and the change programs. You have to take those individuals and organizations through. And yet on the other hand, you've got this body of 15,000 or so students from multiple diverse backgrounds with, as you said, various levels of understanding of issues that should concern them whilst on campus in and in around the university and frankly living life in and around the area. How's the team set up to be equipped to, to handle that given that training and education ironically is a core part of what you do, but it's not the only thing you do. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that we pride ourselves upon is that training and outreach to all of our constituents on campus is inherent in our roles. We have dedicated members of our group that just focus on training and communication to make sure that the training materials that we deliver are up to date, they are relevant, they are high quality. We have individuals that are specialized in particular areas of subject matter expertise. So when it comes to things like laboratory safety, we have certified safety professionals as a part of our group that will deliver trainings that are specific to particular topics. But we also have a business continuity specialist on our team or an emergency preparedness specialist that will develop and deliver trainings to members of our community with respect to those areas of subject matter expertise. So for all of us on the team, and when it comes to the organizations that I oversee, with the exception of COVID testing, we have about 25 individuals and they are various areas of subject matter expertise, as I said, from a business continuity specialist into industrial hygienists. So they all lend a very particular lens of expertise when it comes to areas of risk management, areas of safety, areas of continuity. So we all contribute to to training our community on the things that, that we're very passionate about. I want to ask you a couple of questions now about leadership in the university overall. And then I also want to talk about something you mentioned briefly, which I couldn't let you get away with not expanding on, which is about the goals. So firstly, let's talk about often policy and often the way in which a culture is fostered and built often starts from the top of any organization. Can you say a little bit about or describe for us how that connection between what you and the team are doing and how that connects to leadership, if you will, if I can use that rather broad term to describe how that operates within the university? I think we're very fortunate here. And I report to the vice president for operations at the university. And I think more so now than ever, we have a very strong leadership team that really understands and appreciates the goals and the mission that that we are delivering as a part of an enterprise risk management department. Especially, I think, like I said, now more than ever during COVID, we were the ones that really helped to support a lot of the emergency response and the continuity and the risk mitigation strategies that then needed to be implemented as a result of COVID. My team and I were delivering presentation upon presentation, giving briefings, because this is really, that was our moment to do as a result of a global disruption the way COVID has been. 
the leadership team had the opportunity to basically see us in action and had a greater understanding and appreciation for what we were doing. And I think as a result, there's a greater level of visibility into the things that we do. And there's a greater level of awareness as a result also, not just from leadership, but from all areas of the university, both academic and administrative. Again, we're very lucky to have a leadership team that appreciates and supports that culture of safety. And like I said, now more than ever. And just on that point of goals, then, Melanie, could you just talk a little bit about what those goals look like? So when you think about what's important to the organization, your organization, and how do you think about success and what kinds of outcomes are you looking to drive there that you would then consider as goals and metrics that you consider? I think ultimately our goal is to support organizational resiliency using an enterprise risk management framework that ultimately will help to support risk-informed decision-making. And in support of that concept of organizational resiliency, we within enterprise risk management, we have a strategic plan, and that plan has very specific goals of how we are going to achieve that mission, how we're going to speak to the mission that we've established for ourselves. And those goals can range anything from continuing expansion of the business continuity program to other academic units that might not have plans in place yet, to developing additional safety programs that will strengthen the resiliency of our community, whether it's workplace safety programs or whether it's laboratory safety programs. We all, oh, we're always finding new and better ways of doing something. So this continuous process improvement, really having the focus on emergency preparedness. We are always looking at ways that we can exercise our emergency preparedness plans or implement a new program, whether it's stop the bleed or whether it's engaging more members of our community as a part of a program that we started last fall called a CMU Safe Ambassador Program and how we can expand that program even more to other members of our campus community. So I think when we think about metrics and we think about different goals, it's really just continuing on a path that we've already started, but just expanding it more. The big metric that I look forward to seeing one day soon is going from 80% coverage of business continuity plans at the university to 100%. And we get closer to that 100% every day. But that's something that we really measure and report out on and also provide quarterly updates to leadership on our progress. Hold ourselves accountable to the goals that we set and we report out on them periodically. You've talked a lot about the aspects of how the business continues to run, the safety aspect that's clearly important for staff and students. You talked about continuity expansion beyond the functions that clearly are adopting and embracing to other parts of the organization. Are there, and those things are all within your control to much, to a greater or lesser degree, are there in the world of academia aspects of external regulatory concerns that you have to address that you also have to think about being able to adapt to those needs? as well as the things that you consider within the university itself? Absolutely. The university, we operate like a small city. 
And so as such, we are subject to the same types of regulations, codes, laws that everyone else is. And so while it's not so much an area of concern, I think we have to make sure as a part of our responsibilities that we are demonstrating compliance with all of those things. I think one good example here in the United States, universities are subject to the Clery Act. And that Clery Act, part of it requires that universities have and test and provide timely notifications to members of the community when there is a health and safety threat on campus. And so that is our CMU alert system that I I noted earlier. And we test that system regularly. And throughout COVID, we use that system very regularly, remind members of our community about our risk mitigation strategies, but also about testing and self-assessing your symptoms on a daily basis. So that's one of the things that we have to demonstrate compliance with, as well as particularly with environmental health and safety being under my purview with Department of Environmental Protection and other university policies that support our culture of safety. It's making sure that we've got all of our ducks in a row and that we're ready at any time to be able to demonstrate that level of compliance. Very interesting. And a topic that comes up frequently, which is top of all of our minds, isn't it, is ESG, the environmental social governance aspects of the way businesses and indeed academia run their operation every day. As you said at the top of the conversation, I think you mentioned 140 acres in terms of size of campus. That's a lot of real estate to manage, right? Yes, it certainly is. But uh, we also, as a part of, it's not within my department specifically, but within our operational division, we have a facilities management and campus services team that does a tremendous job of managing campus grounds and even and as well as supporting our key sustainability initiatives, which we also strongly advocate and support as well on our team. And it definitely is a full team effort. And like they say, it, it takes a village and we are definitely a part of that. And of course, you're, you're a very important part of the city in terms of what you represent, the standards that you uphold as well in terms of the the wider community outside the university too. So many of the things that you do, you initiate and lead within your organization helps to uphold the standards in terms of how the brand, if you will, is seen not only in the local community, but globally as well. Is there a connection there that perhaps the more commercial side of the university sees in terms of the benefit that what your team brings that actually upholds the credibility and standards of what a world-class Carnegie Mellon brand brings to the world of best-in-class education. One of the things that we are particularly proud of is the role that we play, not only at the university, but in our community and in the region. And as such, you know, one of the things that we did last fall, we conducted a functional emergency preparedness exercise that simulated the activation and operationalization of a family assistance center following an active shooter tragedy. And what we did in planning for that exercise, but also in standing it up, was involving fellow universities to come and collaborate with us, our neighbors, fellow agencies. We had representation from the Red Cross. We had representation from the local police department, from the FBI, and to see not only Carnegie Mellon come together, 
to demonstrate our resiliency, but to see the community of Pittsburgh come together in being represented in various areas of safety and law enforcement to show ourselves and our students and their families that if something tragic should happen, we would all come together as a community to ensure our safety. I can only imagine how the sheer scale of what you do at the university has that impact on the community at large and the collaborative nature of what's necessary to work with other supporting agencies. Let me change track a little, if I may. Four years into the role, the uh, university, talk about what surprised you most as you've gone through that journey. What's interesting, when I took the role, it was a brand new role. Enterprise Risk Management was a new department It was bringing organizations together that had previously been siloed in other organizations. And so we were now operating under one umbrella that really focused on risk and resilience and safety. And I think having that opportunity and the opportunity to grow the department to help match the scale and just level of talent that the university brings from our students and our faculty and staff. So we had a really fantastic opportunity to grow the team. And I think what has surprised me is the, and maybe it shouldn't surprise me, but the level of appreciation, the level of collaboration that we get from our partners. And I think now just the greater level of visibility that we have, if there was any silver lining as a result of COVID, I think one of the things that we joke about is that, yeah, having gone through this experience, if you don't know about risk management by now, I can't help you. Because the last two plus years, we've been emphasizing risk mitigation, risk strategies, risk-informed decision-making, and that's what we live and breathe by. So I think prior to COVID and now, now at this moment in time, I think it has truly bridged many gaps that might have been in our colleagues' minds about what exactly did we do, now they know. Great way of making an impact in the organization. In in light of those elements that you've talked to there, this framework of a risk-informed strategy, the fact that you actually have established a collaborative approach to the way in which you engage stakeholders, you've got this highly diverse body of students that you have to embrace into the program. Where's this leading to, Melanie? What's next as you start thinking now about into 2023, into 2025? What are you as a team thinking about? What are the needs that you believe you need to champion and lead through the university now? One of the biggest things that is present in our minds right now is is let's not lose everything that we've learned over these past few years. So how do we maintain this high level of risk awareness and preparedness without getting burned out by it, but not losing all of this knowledge. For example, learned very quickly how to implement plan B and working either in a hybrid format or remote format, whatever that is, we as humans adapt. And as soon as we go back to perhaps what we consider normal, whatever that means, is how quickly we can forget everything that we've been through. And so how can we as a team preserve what we've learned and that knowledge so that if we ever have to do it again, that we are not 
starting from scratch all over again. So how do we preserve, but also continue on this path of a greater level of resiliency? So it it doesn't necessarily worry me, but it's something that I think about that we don't want to lose sight of this and we don't want to get complacent. But at the same time, we recognize that we as a society have been through a lot. A lot of people are tired. A lot of people have, they're over it. In appreciation of that, how do we try to maintain just a snippet of what we've learned without contributing to perhaps the fatigue that we have all experienced over the past few years as well? So it's a balance. And you hadn't looked at the prospectus, and perhaps I should have done, but is there any elements in some of the courses and the student courses that the, the college leads that touches on culture and how culture impacts performance or how perhaps ethics and the broader aspects of integrity and how they play out in terms of the psychological aspects of how a business perhaps is run and the nature in which an organization is set up for sustained performance. Do any of those opportunities come back through the learning and the teaching that perhaps you can embed into the day-to-day practices of how you and your team operate? Absolutely. I think that's one of the benefits that we have with being at a a top tier institution is that we have the opportunity to learn from our faculty who are world renowned scientists, researchers, experts in their own. And there is definitely whatever the topic is, whether it's what organizational culture, resiliency, risk language, risk management. There is somebody here at this campus that is a far better expert than I could ever be. And I think one of the things that we've learned is those faculty members are very willing and very eager to contribute to what we do. And throughout COVID in particular, they did. They were a part of how we developed some of our risk mitigation tools. They were a part of how we designed some of our HVAC capabilities. So it helps when you have this hugely diverse global community with varying levels of subject matter expertise and some of the world's leading experts to help you with your own thinking and decision-making and really strategic execution. So I think in that sense, we're very fortunate and maybe a little spoiled. I think that's fantastic. You really do have on hand perhaps some of the most progressive thinkers, thought leaders, practitioners actually can contribute and help to shape a very forward thinking strategy. Melanie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you ever so much for joining us on Risky Business. It was a delight to meet you and to hear the things that you're leading at Carly Carnegie Mellon University. So thank you again. Appreciate that. Oh, thank you. The pleasure's all mine. Thanks for listening to Risky Business. For more insights and resources, check out the show notes or go to ganintegrity.com and be sure to follow along wherever you get your audio.